See, now, if you just see how we're talking now, it's, that's how you know. Okay, now you know what's going on. So you're, you're, you're going. All right. <laughs> Hopefully, Mark will edit that little. That's right. <laughs> All right, good morning, everybody. Are we ready to get started? Good morning. All right, well, how about if we open up with a moment uh, talking to God first, asking His blessing on the morning, and then we'll get started. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for this beautiful morning. Thank you that we're going to have a, at least a couple days of warmth coming up, and it's just nice to have a break from the cold. I want to thank you for this study of Second Peter, and I pray that you would... Give us real wisdom and discernment as we begin considering false teachers, Lord, and um, we'd just be wary of that in our own lives, as well as what might come into the church and into the church as a whole in our country. Please just bless our conversation this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're starting this morning with the second chapter of Second Peter. Let's take a moment and just think about where we've been. Um, got a chance to listen to Dave's message this week, and um, as in, I just said, as in chapter two, as we're about to start discussing false teachers, Peter just ended chapter one with uh, basically a um, first of all validating his own ministry, talking about how the fact that these weren't stories that they had made up, that these were eyewitness accounts, the things that they had witnessed. That's what they based their teaching upon. And also in the last couple verses of um, chapter 1, let's take a look at it. We can read the last few verses, and that will just bring us right up to step. Why don't we, why don't we take a look at chapter 1, and start with verse 16, and we'll just read through the end, and that will put us right where we need to be. Mick, can you read that for us? 16, the end of the chapter 1. No, uh, sorry, 16, start with 16, and then t- to the end of the chapter. Are you in Second Peter? Sorry, it's all good. <laughs> Those are great verses. That's good too. I was just casting the I'm starting to sweat up here. Did I say the wrong thing? Okay, awesome. So we definitely see Peter here foreshadowing, right? Setting up the contrast about what he's about to about to show us the opposite of this, right? In verse 16, he says, "We did not follow." In the NIV here, it says, "Cleverly invented stories." Okay, and that's what we're going to talk about today. These the opposite people who 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 are making up cleverly cleverly invented stories, and then um, when he's explaining clearly that in the past men did. Um, these were not the prophet's own interpretation, which we're, again, we're, we're going to see today as we talk about the false teachers, the difference. Um, so not only is he um, reaffirming their faith in the scriptures and his own personal testimony, he's going to set up a bright contrast here in, in um, what he's warning them against. Is there anything else you think we should add to that, Dave, before we move forward? No? Okay. So let's take a look at today's scripture. We're going to look at verses 1 through the first half of verse 3. But false prophets also arose among the people. So now we're still, we're looking back. First he says, these prophets of old were moved by God, but 
false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. So, let's start out here first considering the false prophets of old. Um, as I was looking through the study, they presented a few different common characteristics of the false prophets of the Old Testament. I think that will provide a good foundation first, and then we'll start expanding on the, what, what Peter says on false teachers. Alright, so let's take a look at 1 Kings chapter 22. 1 Kings chapter 22. Let's see, I'll give you the first blank here. Three common characteristics of prophets of the Lord. Read in case you can't see the blue. They did not speak with divine authority. What Peter just got done saying that the, the prophets here do have, they were carried along by the Spirit of God. The prophet, false prophets do not speak with divine authority. Alright, so 1 Kings 22. And this is here, the prophet Micaiah and King Ahab. Um, and just to set, we'll... we'll Let me see here. Now, to set this, set this up, Ahab is looking north, is looking to Syria, considering some land they have there, and wondering if he should go to war. And he calls King Jehoshaphat along with him, and uh, he's in a, debating if he should go and attack Syria. I'm trying to think. Well, let's just start. We're not going to read through this whole passage, but let's at least begin here. Um, David, would you mind reading through verse 13 for us? 1 Kings 22. Sorry. Wait till you get called. 1 Kings 22. 14, then we'll have someone else read the 28, and that's where we'll stop. Three years passed without war. Pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat the king of Judah went down to visit Israel said to his servants do you know that Ramoth in Leah is ours but we hesitate to take it out of the hand of Jehoshaphat will you go with me fight in Ramoth Gilead Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel I am as you are horses as your horses also Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel please inquire for the word of the Lord today and the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, Shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to fight, or shall I refrain? They said, Go up, for the Lord will deliver it in bed. It is there not, uh, is there not a still a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Kill no man, I am the son of the fire of the Lord. Not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. Jehoshaphat said, the king of Israel called an officer and said, Bring Micaiah, the son of Israel, and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, having put on their robes, set each on, on his throne, rushing floor at the entrance of the gate of Sinai. All the prophets prophesied for them. Zedekiah, the son of Keniah, had horns of iron for himself. Thus says the Lord, With these you shall gore the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophets prophesied, so go to Ramoth Gilead, prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the kings. And the messenger who had gone to call Melchiah spoke to him, saying, Listen, 
the words of the prophets with one Lord encourage the king. Let your word be Lord of one. And Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, whatever the Lord says to me. Can someone else read through verse 28? Finish up for us. Same with the king. The king wrote to reign with Gilead to battle. For she answered him, go up and succeed. And the said to him, how many times must I adjure you to speak to me? <coughs> so he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep. Have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. But each of them returned to his house. The king of Israel said to Jehovah, <coughs> excuse me, Micaiah said, there, therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the host of heaven standing. The Lord said, Who will entice Ahab to go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? One said this, while another said that. <coughs> then his spirit forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. The Lord said to him, How? And he said, I will go out and be a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all the prophets. Then he said, You are to entice him and also prevail. Go and do so. Now therefore behold, the Lord has put to see all these your prophets. And the Lord has proclaimed, Lord has proclaimed disaster against you. And Zedekiah, the son of Shenanah, came near, struck Melchiah on the cheek, and said, How did the Spirit of the Lord pass from me to speak? Micaiah said, Behold, you shall see on that day when you enter an inner room to hide yourself. And the king of Israel said, Take Micaiah and return him among Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king. Saying, Thus says the king. In prison and bread and water until I return safely. I have said, if you indeed lately the Lord has not spoken by me, and he says, listen, all you can yeah. uh, The NIV says, mark my word. Kind of that whole, again, listen, you know, give them a stern warning. It's, so we definitely see here that these men are not speaking from the Lord, right? Even though they claim to be, even though they're passionate about it. You see the head, um, one of the head priests here actually forged horns of iron just for just for the point of making his point before the king that they were going to go and um, um, be utterly victorious in the battle. It's interesting too. I think he sends a little bit of Micaiah's sarcasm too when he first comes to the king and they ask him what does he say and he says the exact same thing they did. And he's like, no, 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 no. Really? What, what do you have to say? He just knows it can't be true. Also, the thing this is fascinating reading this, that the fact that this... Um, this would be an interesting study for down the road. Sometime I put my nose myself, I gotta start looking into this. But the idea of this, the fact that the demon would come forward and serve the Lord even in this. Right? I mean, they all serve the Lord's purposes, irregardless of whatever their motives are. So I wonder if it's even just their absolute hatred for humanity and their, their love, they would just, any chance they get. It's just, it's just very fascinating this idea of the throne room of God and all different spirits stepping forward. It's a very interesting little peek. Yeah, here it came forward and stood before the Lord. Mm. So there is this proud perception. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, very, uh, and this is all going to come together, too, as we continue to look in the, this idea of going forward. But from here, from this point, with the, all the way to the, to the Pharisees, that just when we're talking about false prophets and false teachers, um, we're, we're understanding that while some might know that they're, that they're just making things up, there are definitely those who are uh, passionate about what they're saying. And that's, that's not... That's not the key is not their passion. They could be actually very passionate about something that's actually just an f- absolute falsehood, absolutely incorrect. Which is yeah. Exactly. All right, so let's take a look now at Ezekiel 13 for other, our other example. Ezekiel chapter 13. Ezekiel now is a prophet who, um, after the Israelites have been taken into captivity, he's in Babylon now and he's writing about, the, but he's writing looking backwards at what happened before Israel was taken. So, judgment is approaching. Judah is the remaining. Judgment is approaching. 
And uh, he's writing about that in their, uh, in their past at this point. So let's take a look at 13, 1 through 7. I'll read this. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who are now prophesying. Say to those who prophesy out of their own imaginations, Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. You prophets, O Israel, are like jackals among ruins. You have not gone up to the breaks in the wall to repair it for the house of Israel so that it will stand firm in the battle on the day of the Lord. Their visions are false and their divinations a lie. They say, The Lord declares when the Lord has not sent them, yet they expect their words to be fulfilled. Have you not seen false visions and uttered lying divinations when you say, The Lord declares, though I have not spoken? So here's this clear um, denunciation of these prophets who go around continually saying that this is what the Lord says, but it's from their own imagination and from their own ideas this comes from. Okay, so this is the first characteristic here. They are not following the, the word of the Lord. Now let's take a look at the second characteristic here of these false prophets. Again, if you can't read this, it says, Their message was one of good news. Their message was one of good news, promising peace and security in contrast to the, to the warnings about judgment given by the true prophets. <coughs> Alright, so let's stay right here in Ezekiel. Let's go a little bit farther down here. Now we get to see this. First we said that they've made up things, the, the prophets have said uh, they've made up stories from their hearts, and now the Lord's a little, even a little more clear about the things that they have been saying. Can someone read maybe that for us? Verses uh, 10 through 12 there, in chapter 13 of Ezekiel. Thus when the people, those who smear it all, there will be a deluge of rain, and stormy wind falls fall, though it not be solely with which. Therefore, thus says the Lord, out in my wrath, and there shall be a anger. Okay. So I'm sure many of us have heard this before, right? We've, we've, this has been used many times about the prophets who say, peace, peace, when there is no peace. This idea that people were, the prophets of them were saying, hey, we have nothing to worry about. We're, we're Judah. We're God's chosen people. We have nothing to fear. And while, while the other prophets, like Jeremiah and others, were saying, judgment is coming, judgment is coming. And these false prophets but were saying, peace, and telling people what they wanted to hear. They didn't want to be fearful. They were t- maybe even tired of being fearful. And so these prophets were telling them exactly what they wanted to hear. Um, and we gotta, we're going to come, I'm going to put a, I'm going to piece of paper in here. I think this will be this this verse. I think will be very uh, good for us to come back to when we even consider what's going on today in our own current culture. This is going to be, uh, I think, very relevant. Um, so let's look at Jeremiah now. This is another prophet. This is now. So since Ezekiel was looking back, and Jeremiah was the prophet who was actually there while it was happening. And uh, let's see what he what he was saying about the prophets. Jeremiah eight. Squall, you read that for us when you get there? Yeah. Okay. Uh, say to them, this is what the Lord says. When men fall down, do they not get up? When man turns away, does he not return? Why then have these people turned away? Why does Jerusalem always listen attentively? No one repents of his wickedness. What have I done? He just sees his own course like a horse charging into battle. Even the orc in the sky knows her appointed seasons, and the dove, the swift, and the... My people do not know the requirements of the Lord. How can you say we are wise, for we have the law of the Lord, when actually the lying pen of the scribes has handled it? The wise will be put to shame, they will be backed, since they have rejected the word of the Lord. What kind of wisdom do they have? Therefore I will give their wives to other men, who feel the at least the greatest, all are greedy for grain, prophets and priests alike, all practices. 
They dress the wounded my people as though it were not serious. Are they ashamed of their loathsome conduct? No, they have no shame at all. They do not even know how to blush. So they will fall among the fallen, they will be brought down when they are punished. Away their harvest, declares the Lord. There will be no grapes on the vine, and no figs on the tree. Whither? What I have given them will be taken. Why are we sitting here? Gather together. Let us flee to the fortified cities and perish there. The Lord our God has doomed us to perish and given water to drink. Because we have sinned against him. Hope for peace, but no good. Time of healing, but there was only terror. The warning of the enemy's horses is heard from Dan. Of their sailings, the whole land trembles. They have come to devour the land and everything all who live there. I will send venomous snakes among vipers that cannot be charmed, and they will fight you. Okay, so here's the Lord at that time speaking through Jeremiah and telling him about what's coming. Again, we see the prophets who are, and later we hear about the peace, peace that they're that they're saying. And here again, the Lord is saying, look, these. Prophets, again, you're listening to these people that are telling you the false things. I think, too, here we see some more insight. Again, we'll see even more about false teachers. But in verse 10, From the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike all practice deceit. So here again we see the people are getting what they want. They're similar to the priests, but the priests are doing the same thing, being deceitful, greedy. And we'll see more of that. Peter talks about that for false teachers as well. And I think we even see the level of deception, self-deception that starts coming in. Um, in verse 12, when they say they have no shame at all, they don't even know how to blush anymore. This could be um, also from deception and from their hearts growing hardened to sin. They just they just don't even realize how serious what they're doing is. I think that's yeah, certainly the same with sinful patterns in our own life when we begin walking away from the Lord or allowing a sinful pattern to continue in our life. It's, we start losing the understanding of how serious it is. Go ahead. Hey, so I was just like, when the thought comes to mind, it's like these prophets, I don't know if it's like human. Prophets seem like they give the people like, and if they don't love the people, you know what I mean? Mm. Like, the prof- like the prophets that hear, like Jeremiah and Isaiah, they feel the no, even in your heart you're doing wrong or something like that. But somebody tells you like, no, you're you're fine, man. Like you'll you'll you'll, you'll get there, and it's like mm. that's kind of just that's, right. like, that's the way that. That's the saying, right? The person who loves you tells you the most truth. Mm-hmm. For sure. I mean, you can even see that in the last in the other passage we read too, where um, the prophets are saying to Micaiah, like, look, everyone said the same thing. Please, please just go along with them, right? Like they have the idea that they want to please the king, they have their own, they want his favor, they want people's favor, and they're actually, even for him, they only want that stress in their life of just disagreement. Just please, go along with what everyone else says, don't rock the boat. Very good. Alright, so let's go to the next section here, to the third characteristic of the prophets. I'll read it for you if you can't read it. They were shown to be worthy of condemnation. Well, I should have said here, this, this is a picture of uh, Jeremiah, like, lamenting. It's supposed to be just, of course, this is not really what he looks like, but it's just an artist's rendition of this. And then here it's supposed to be Micaiah being called before Jehoshaphat and King Ahab. This is just a depiction of that. Alright, and this is a um, fantastic story I'm sure many of, many of us are familiar with, with the prophets of Baal and the great the great test. Let's, why don't we go to that one first, then we'll go to Ezekiel. Let's go back to First Kings for Elijah. Famous story. We're not going to go through this whole story here. I'm sure many of us have heard it many times. One of our favorite Stories from Sunday school back in the day, right? First Kings chapter eighteen. And this is with Ahab and Elijah and the great testing between Baal and, and God and the two sacrifices. Um they want to give us just a brief summary of what because we're we're just gonna come in at the very end of the story for the purposes of what the, they're worthy of condemnation, but just very briefly, does anyone have Remember the story? Can you give us a brief synopsis? Yeah, the prophets, uh, Ahab? Ahab, yeah. They, they, they got in the past, long time. Mm-hmm. Almost, I think, I really did. Cutting so, themselves? Yeah, they're like, you know, it happened. 
Yeah, so let's read that. Let's, so we'll come right at the end. We're, we're gonna, so after this whole day of the prophets of Baal trying their best, pleading, cutting themselves, dancing for Baal, and, and then he does not answer them, then uh, at the very end, Elijah steps up. Let's. Um, can someone read 36 through 40? Elijah the prophet came to the Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and on this day that you, our Lord, answer me that this is our God, and that you, our Lord, fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust. And looked on the people, saw it, they fell on their face. Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape, uttered them there. Yeah, so this is kind of a picture of him, and I guess he sees it as the brook is a little ways down, and then pushing them off the edge as they kill him, but this is pretty serious, I mean, very serious. You can see how, uh, when they say it deserves condemnation, um, the Lord is not joking around about how serious he considers this. There are other examples in the, in the Old Testament as well, where the instant response is, kill them now. Let's take a look at Ezekiel, see what happens there as well. Ezekiel 13. I'll read these 13, 8 through 9 first. I will set my face. Let's start at 7. When any Israelite or any alien living in Israel separates himself from me and sets up idols in his heart and puts a wicked stumbling block before his face and then goes to a prophet to inquire of me, I, the Lord, will answer him myself. I will set my face against that man and make him an example and a byword. I will cut him off from my people. Then you will know that I am the Lord. And if the prophet is enticed to utter a prophecy, I, the Lord, have enticed that prophet, and I will stretch out my hand against him and destroy him from among the people of Israel. So not only do we see the seriousness of the own person in his own heart, coming with false pretenses, but again, we see the prophet, and if he says something he shouldn't, the Lord has instant condemnation. And then, let's a little farther down, in 13 through 16, then the Lord, Lord came to me, Son of man, if a country sins against me by believing, by being unfaithful, and I stretch out my hand against it to cut off its food supply and send famine upon it and kill its men and their animals. Even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they could only save themselves by their righteousness, declares the Lord. Or if I send wild beasts through the country and they leave it childless and becomes desolate so that no one can pass through it because of the beasts, as surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, even if these three men were in it, they could not save their sons and daughters. They alone would be saved, but the rest of the land would be desolate. So again, this is just talking about the absolute judgment of God against this type of thing. I'm oh, sorry, maybe, maybe it should be more clear. If we just read the whole thing through. Because in 9, again, it says it's even more clear, talking about if a prophet is enticed to order a prophecy, again, he's, he's, it follows right through. So it's talking about the prophecy in their hearts, and then this is the judgment the Lord brings against that type of rebellion. And then lastly, before we move on to begin looking at false teachers with Peter, let's just look at Deuteronomy and again see what... God specifically, when first begins talking to Moses about this type of thing, what he says the judgment should be for this type of prophet. Deuteronomy 13. Can someone read verses 1 through 5 for us when you get there? If a prophet, or one who foretells by dreams, appears among you and he announces to you a miraculous sign or wonder, and if the sign or wonder of which he has spoken takes place, he says, Let us follow other gods, gods you have not known. Let us worship them. You must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. The Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you love Him with all your heart and with all your soul. The Lord your God you must follow, and Him you must read. That prophet or dreamer must be put, brought you out of Egypt, and tried to turn you from the God who commanded you. First of evil from among you. Okay, so three times here we've seen that when someone is a false prophet, um, or in that role of prophet and disobey the Lord, uh, every time the condemnation is swift judgment and death. 
So with that level of seriousness, let's move forward now and see what, as Peter begins talking about false teachers warning the church and us, let's see what he says about them. First thing here about false teachers is, I'll read it for you in case you can't, they are devious in their manner. They are devious in their manner. We'll look at a couple examples here of what this means, their nature, and let's take a look at A as well, because this is important for us to clarify. Since Peter accuses false teachers of arrogance later in the chapter, he probably does not mean that they are necessarily hiding what they are teaching. He rather, he's suggesting that they are covering up the degree to which their, dif- their teaching differs from the accepted apostolic teaching. They're covering up the degree to which their teaching differs. They noted that if they came out and were speaking um, blatantly against Christ and that kind of thing, that they would never be welcome in the church, they'd never be accepted. So they're kind of trying to bring it in with shades of gray. So let's take a look at Galatians chapter 2. Okay, in verses 4 and 5 it says, This matter arose because of some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have on Christ Jesus and make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. And this is again talking about some of the Jewish uh, brothers who are beginning to require things of the law of believers. But this is Paul again speaking about their nature that they had, again he talks about them like spies, infiltrated us to spy on the freedom we have. Again talking about their, their nature being somewhat devious and um, hidden. And then in Jude, of course there is only one chapter in Jude, but just for the sake of I mean, when I, when I, when I was looking even on, if you want to see Jude 22, Jude 13, I just had to remember, oh yeah, that's not, there is no chapter 22, it's verse 22. <clears throat> Can someone read verses 3 and 4 for us when you get there? Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our call to necessity faith, which was one all handed down, crept in unknown beforehand, marked out for this godly persons who turned God into license. Okay, so quite a bit there, right? But at least towards this point, we can see again, they long ago secretly slipped in among you. We see uh, their devious nature there. And then also, we'll definitely come back to this, but there's important things to notice here is that the license for immorality and the fact that they deny Jesus Christ as sovereign and Lord. And I think we're going to see, um, as we look through this, that that, not, that does not necessarily mean an outright denial um, of saying Jesus Christ is not Lord alone. <clears throat> In some cases, that could be true. But we're seeing it as more of the license for immorality becomes... Um, because it's obvious that they're thereby denying His Lordship. They have certain areas of their life that they are not following Him at all. So how can they possibly call Him Lord and Master? They're denying Him by their life. Alright, let's take a look at the next year. Did, yes, please. Notice, uh, you know, the sound teacher love it when you ask questions. They love it when they have hope. They invite that. They're arrogant. You're probably not adhering to what mm. That's true. I think in your arrogance, you're actually, you're, which we'll even talk about more later, but you're actually setting yourself up for this continued level of folly. Because when you do pause and in humility, say, asking others what they think about this, or what um, that kind of opens yourself up to seeing other um, perspectives and actually hearing the, about the fact that you might have interpreted something wrongly, or that really questioning, well, 
Or did you find that, whereas the, the arrogance would lend itself just to continue? By the heart. So, sometimes I talk about arrogance at heart. It's going to be that, uh, like it's what's happening, that there is, they're in, they're already inside. They're already, go. it's not like mm-hmm. we know that they're coming, obviously, in the door, and now you when you hear from them, they're already there. And so this aspect of the, the, the deed that they're going to in over effectiveness, but as I you look at, well, where would where would Satan want to be church? Because mm. it's at. That's where the word's at. He's not outside. Because it's. The yeah, one of the one of the commentaries brought up the fact too, and we might touch on this a little bit later as well. But the idea that Satan has kind of like a double-edged sword here, right? He brings it in first as a as a person who's going to be trying to corrupt teaching and limit the effectiveness of the church, and then ultimately, when someone finally does recognize what it is and call them out on it, he then has the opportunity. Let <clears throat> me even before that. He has the opportunity then at some other point too that when, once someone's run their course, then he can just expose them and then also damage the church because of the, the false pretenses of one of their, one of their own. Right? So they can wound believers and then also wound the church in the, in the local community when he can ultimately, if he wants to, flip somebody and then reveal their hypocrisy to the outside world he's looking in. Yeah. I'm kind of curious because like, well, Paul, Paul was one of these guys I was I wouldn't say there's there they're not for salvation. Anyone can repent. Because you can even see this. Yeah, I think so. Because you definitely can see this in parts of others, or you take these warnings to your own heart too. And we'll talk about that later as well. But just the idea of, do you see some of these tendencies in your own life? Have you had a, um, maybe the arrogance in your life is that you've had a certain sin in your life, you know, the Lord's been calling you to repent of, and your refusal to repent, and now you're at the point where you're coming and involved in some ministry in church, and you know you're coming with an, almost with an empty heart to the thing. Just the idea of the, the arrogance of that, of coming up and standing before in any ministry, and standing up and saying this, when you know that inside you haven't been doing this, or you haven't been... And that could be a called repentance in your own life. Like, wow, I need to... I would say it could be anybody. What you've just described in Paul, he's a perfect example. Mm. That's what it looks like. And I think Paul's teaching, it's like, well, you know, all you have to do is just say this little prayer right here, and you're good, mm. and you go. Nothing can change life. And so then it's how it's, how it's messed up. Right. Satan is going to, again, back to that Genesis 3, it was in the garden. It was that place that he would make all way. Yet with what is common, world, even in all sense, learning of in that. Uh-huh. And the important that is how Satan will work. And the, the deception part of this is what I not get our heads always around. Yeah, yeah I want to be clear what I'm saying. So I'm not saying that that, that um, Peter is talking to believers about these. Because everyone we're see here here is false in their claim of following God. Okay, I'm saying as believers we could see some tendency in our own life towards these and repent. Um, but I think also the false teachers I don't think they, they, yeah, they could repent as well. But this is, this is all this is Towards non-believers who are coming in under the guise. You know, where I pick up on this judgment is what I'm mm-hmm. to, uh, to whatever those false teachers. Because he's a, he's allowing, just like he did in that passage, he's got a lot of Satan sovereign plan. Yet there's this judgment. Mm-hmm. 
So we say in general that this passage then is speaking to people who um, have no chance of repentance because what we're describing here is someone who is used by Satan for this purpose and this is where they're going. No, I, I, I was saying that this is, it's already here. This is, mm-hmm. So what do you, yep, okay. and then he's going to say, and understand this, God has reserved them for judgment. Yeah. Okay? It's not our job to, to do that. God'll take God's gonna take care of it. It's it's our job to you know, be focused on the word and that in itself, the purity of that word, act constantly. Good. And the yep. church has a response to separate them out to all that. Mm-hmm. The judgment part isn't up that word. You know, I talked about I think you can have false teachers, but you can have wrong teachers. People ended on the wrong side of the you know, yep, but, but for sure. that, you know, your talk of arrogance and there's a difference between listening to you know, somebody, them in a different direction are correct and have a di- That's not a false teacher. That's just a somebody who landed wrong. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, but but yeah, God holds that. So it's so important that that needs to be stopped. <laughs> That's not right. But then you have the false teachers who their plan is to prove you wrong. You know, mm-hmm. their plan is to prove. It's important to know God's word. Important. You know what I mean? Like, I just kind of take it lightly. You know? mm-hmm. well, this is what the Bible says. I can't give you the reference. Concepts. Look it up. I know right. what you mean. But it's like that's why it's like really important to like take his word seriously. Like he because he takes it hundred percent seriously. You know what I mean? Like himself, like kind of misses that, like joke. Like, right. you know I mean? like if you before like sometimes don't talk at all, like you know, don't know exactly what you're saying. That's, that's a good idea. That'd be a good word. Awesome. Yeah, we'll see. That's definitely where we're moving all morning is gonna be the seriousness of the word in the teaching. No, that's good. That's you're, you're, that's perfect. Okay, next characteristic here. Let me read it for you, dark blue. They are perpetrating a serious error. They are perpetrating a serious error. Just let me go back here. Let's just go back to our text here for a minute so we can see where we're going here. I kind of had this broken down by section, but let's just keep with the verses as well so we can see where we're getting all this from. They're also, we're reading back at 2 Peter again, chapter 2. But there are also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. And I think let's make that first clarification. Just notice that that he goes, which switches from false prophets to false teachers. Okay, and that's not right. Okay, so we're saying that there are definitely some common characteristics. But I think Peter's noticing here that these men are not claiming to be prophets. What they're doing is just as damaging and just as damning as the false prophets. They will secretly they will secretly induce. There's a secret the, the deception we see induce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. Now, so my point here is we're going to look at this first, is this idea of the sovereign Lord. Um, term sovereign Lord translates despotes, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, a term applied to God or Christ four times in the New Testament. So let's take a look at this. But we're going to see this, and I'll let me tell you this before we start looking. It underscores the seriousness. It underscores the seriousness of the false false teacher's denial. We're going to see in here this idea of um, the sovereign Lord and his um, kingly nature and the idea that we're servants as teachers, which makes it even more egregious for them to, to um, discard his, what the Lord is actually saying and to falsely claim that their own teachings is what he's saying. Let's look at Luke 2. We can see this used a couple times. A few times, I should say. Luke chapter 2. 
And this is we're talking here about, about Simeon, this faithful older man of God who had been given this promise that he would see the Messiah before he died. So maybe we can even we'll start in verse twenty five here. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die <clears throat> excuse me, he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do <clears throat> for him what was custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms, praising God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. So here's this man who's been waiting on this the promise of God his whole life and sees now that through all the events, circumstances of his life, God brought him exactly to where he had promised him. So we see this idea of God being sovereign over <clears throat> his life and time. <clears throat> Excuse me. All right, let's look at Acts 4 as well. And this is this will be right after um, Peter and John have been preaching, and the um, the council brings them to, brings them in to question them and saying, "What have you been doing?" And after they question them, they um, after they question them, they come back to the believers, and the believers are shocked. So it's 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all the chief priests and elders and said to them. When they heard this, all the people there raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And they were just again just praising God about the fact that he has authority even over these men that he could save Peter and John from the religious leaders. And then in Jude, someone read verse 4 for us when they hit Jude. Um, this condemnation. Ungodly persons to turn the grace of our God into life. There's that word again. Yep. I, our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Here we go. There's that towards the end. Mine is sovereign and Lord. But that same idea there again of, again, here's the end, making it very clear the, the level of their rebellion when it's juxtaposed against the authority and sovereignness of God. And lastly, in Revelation, turn a few more pages back, Revelation 6.10. The other place that this specific word is used. Okay, and this is those who've been who've died for, for the, who've been martyred and asking for judgment. And again, and again, my translation actually has the sovereign Lord in it as well. That, that same word, pleading with him to, to for, for judgment. So when Peter uses this this phrase here, it, it's just as we said already. It's just making clear how deep their rebellion is and how serious it is. There literally can be no higher authority that they're rebelling against. Okay, the third characteristic of the false teachers, the outcome of their teaching is destruction. The outcome of their teaching is destruction. So let's take a look at a couple of verses here. And I'll give you the next one as well. As a metaphor for judgment. <clears throat> so let's read it. Sorry, let's go to Second Peter. I keep, let's keep it on the text. And it says here their um, swift destruction. They will introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. Let's talk about that for one too before we go on. Real quick, before we go to the next. 
this should be just to, just to mention this. This is a text that we can that you can really go deep on. <laughs> but for the, for the when we're talking about the Lord who bought them, there's a lot of a lot of thought that goes into this. But in general, um, but the the commentaries that I read, MacArthur, who we've been going through and, and respect his opinion on this, it basically says that this is um, they are claiming that this is Jesus who bought them. Okay, they're they're saying. They're claiming Christianity. They're they're claiming ownership of God, and but their lifestyle and all they're doing is showing that that's a total fabrication. But that makes it no less serious. Um, the the uh, their crimes in that they are taking, they are um, speaking for the Lord as leaders or at, in the church, and they are speaking um, heresies and falsehoods and how serious that is. Uh, but I would encourage you to maybe even. Uh, dig deeper into this verse, and, and, and uh, maybe in the future we can look into that. But just uh, what's at stake here? I'm not sure. Do you want me to go into this a little bit? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> because the question here is, um, did Jesus die for them? Okay. That they're claiming it, and that's where MacArthur would stand. That they're claiming it, but he did not. Um, the sovereign Lord who bought them. So here, here's the question. Um, some will read this text and say. Um, Jesus did die for their sins, um, and they are, first of all, were they saved or not saved? And we'll see later as we go through, I think it's clear that they are not believers, okay? So, this, so then the question becomes, okay, if they're not believers, then um, did Jesus therefore die for their sins, for the sins of the whole world? And that gets into a question of, um, did Jesus, when, when God chose from the beginning of the world, so we talk about predestination and God choosing those who He would save and those who we wouldn't save. So the Bible is very clear that God knows who He's going to call to Himself. So the question then becomes, when Jesus went on the cross and died for the sins, knowing who, who would repent, did He die for the sins of all mankind? Or did He die and pay for the sins of those who would come to faith in Him? Okay, And the, the ramifications then of that are... Um, if you say that Jesus died for the sins of all, that he literally died for everyone's sins, then the question is, was his, are they then being punished twice? If Jesus already been, you're, you're a friend at work who's a non-believer, and he never accepts Christ. When he goes and stands before the judgment seat of God, did God already punish Jesus for all his sins? And then he's going to punish this guy as well for his sins? That doesn't seem to make sense. That would be God unjust. Okay, so this kind of gets... Deeper and deeper, and what basically what MacArthur is saying is that that's not that his stance is that Jesus died for those um, who would accept Christ. God knew that, and that's who that, that is who the sins that Christ died for. Now, there's also I was talking to Pastor Mike about this this week. Okay, and this is where you can this is it's worth studying, it's worth thinking about, and coming to your own understanding of this. Okay, <clears throat> but there, there's this side of it as well. There's the there is the the there's a better word for this. Maybe you can help me with this. There is, I'm going to say, the power of, of, of Christ's work, and then the purpose of it. Okay, we'll use those words. There are better, more theological words, <laughs> but this is the sense. Christ, when we, when we sin against God, even one time, and God says that that's what you, you deserve hell because you're sinning against an infinite God. There's an infinite transgression. It's not like um, why the world ripped asunder by one sin, right? The fact that I. Um, she, um, lied to my wife one time is not the sense that then I only deserve ten minutes of 
10 minutes of punishment or an hour of punishment or a year of punishment. It warrants eternal separation from God because I've sinned against an eternal being. Okay? Now when you flip that, when you talk about Christ's sacrifice, there's the idea that when you punish the, inter- the um, infinite, eternal, perfect God, and, and however that happened on the cross, when, when God punished him for the sins of those, the idea that even, let's, let's, use, a, let's use a physical a physical example, though this may not have been how it happened, but just so for understanding, the idea that if you whipped, people have this idea, I think, that, okay, Jesus was punished for my sins, so I've lied a thousand times, and I've uh, cheated this many times on my test, therefore, if it was all, if it was like old school system of whipping, right, that Jesus was therefore whipped all these times, and he paid this exact amount for my sin, and I would present, I would present this to you, the idea that Against God, the whipping of God, Christ, one time, because of His value and His nature and all that He is, that punishing Him in that one instance would have the value, the value of that would have the power to cover the sins of all mankind because of how the, the nature of God... Does that make any sense? Okay, so there's the power of it, okay? That however Christ was punished, because of His beauty and nature, that punishment had the power... In a sense, it was worth. It could cover the sins of all mankind. But its, its purpose was only to save those that God in His own grace and mercy chose to apply it to. Agree with that? Or is that heresy? Or is that, is that, you agree with that? No, I'm just... You're hearing? hearing. <laughs> that doesn't sound good. That, 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 that's, we understand there, there are godly believers, I think, who fall on different sides of this equation. Okay, that, that's important to say. Because... There are people who say, no, really, I think that God did die for everybody's sins. <clears throat> oh, how much deep you want to go into this? That's not why I just felt, I'm not sure how, how deep you want to go. Because there are believers who fall on both sides of the issue. Making it to is, is, is to a great degree of, of the false. Mm-hmm. Is, is where does it go then? Where they're going to take you, taking you away from God, they will ultimately that manner. So, or a simple example would be it's the, the Lord, Lord, you know, do we not prophesy in your name, do you? Type thing. Then you have the ones where it is um, this drawing away where, let's say even, even Satan and who is the Lord, they knew his authority. There was this subtle, and in this case, the, the heresy, this subtle <laughs> rejection of that authority of like what MacArthur would say is, that, you know, okay, making him that it's lordship thing is like, but it, it comes down to this, and so it's a thing to bring out. Okay. But it's where does it go with it? Right. And I think that that is uh, know the heart. You know what I'm saying this is where what is the takeaway? What a, what a takeaway is the importance of studying the scriptures, learning the word, recognize, and so as we sit under the teaching of God's word, is. Where does that take us? Does it take us to this place about um, what Peter is warning those heresies? And then this word of heresy is not a little thing that is a false message and a teaching has a different outcome. Mm-hmm. I agree. And I think that, that so that's what's, what, what MacArthur was warning against was the idea of taking away the glory from God 
and then taking away from the work of Christ, and ultimately people taking that teaching to, to, to another extreme and putting all the kind of weight of the salvation on people and saying it's all them, it's all their choice, they can make their, without giving any glory to God and giving Him the, 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 uh, the glory and saying, no, it's Him that draws us to salvation, it's Him that awakens us. Like, that was his concern. That doctrine, you know, you've seen, we've talked about this, um, then they, they get lost in that and it gets up and now it becomes this, you know, not worthy or I'm, I'm failing, mm-hmm. or I don't really, I'm not really saved even. And that's where you see you're going and that's where Satan is going to now lose doubt and he's going to just start to continue to, mm-hmm. um, that's the secret aspects of it. And within a church, among us again, okay? Mm-hmm. So you look at what, what is the, the purpose of that doctrinal debate. On, on, yeah, let's say where the glory goes and that so kind of it's thing. It's not so much the debate, right? I mean, you know, I mean, I, if we're talking election, there's fine people on either side of that, you know, fine Christians. So it's what they do with that. Is that what you're saying? It's, it's their purpose? Yeah, you, you look at where, when he talks about heresy, like in this case, so simple. It's God against, Satan against God. Right. It's very simple. So, within that doctrine itself, in that teaching, that it's not always blatant. It's not real clear always, and so therefore, right. he's working it. And that Even in that doctrine, it's where is it going with it? Right. Three or any other examples? That, that, that's, a, that's a tough one. Right. And, I, and that's why this is a good forum to talk about. Okay, good. I mean, and you've seen, you've seen that discussion and debates Rip apart a church down right smack down the middle. No, right? I mean, wouldn't that be Satan's pur- purpose in that? So, destruction, yeah, he's working the middle of it. You know, he's trying to set us apart, or I, I don't know. I, I, I'm getting what you're saying. My plan is. Hey, well, and they will come to that a little bit later too. The the idea of wisdom and discernment and all of this, right? In the sense of understanding what are the core convictions that we need to um, debate and discuss and come to a conclusion on, and say this is where we stand. And maybe if you don't agree with this, then that's the time where you would look elsewhere. But then also understand on some of these issues are they are they are they not? Are they areas where uh, believers can agree to disagree and, and look towards the more common purposes together? I think we'll see that too. It's a good word of warning whenever we look through this. Right, Satan's going to, you know, your own personality <clears throat> and your weaknesses as a, and your tendencies to judge and other things and realize that every time um, Satan's always seeking to push you one way or the other as far as um, you. Go ahead. Go ahead. Because what you just went through exactly, the thing about the fact is, is that within the church today, doesn't want to go to that challenging place, right? So let's just say it's this is a little bit a tougher topic, but it doesn't want to go to a topic of judgment mm-hmm. because it's a, it's a it's a topic of peace. Peace, we like peace. Topic. So give me the support that as a teacher, this is the very thing places where you really work through in your preparation and bring for really discernment through that because. We have the word complete, yet at the same time we have such great opinions and perspectives, commentary of many, many godly men, mm. that uh, how do you work through that? Just share that, because I, I, I yet have you teach work. Oh, I'm trying to understand what you read. 
I don't, I don't disagree with it being the best, that's for sure. I think, too, you'll find, too, as you grow, <clears throat> as you, normally when I talk about, I'm only talking about one or two, that you'll find men who you agree with on multiple issues and come to respect their character. And that's almost like, like, like an elder in your church they become. You kind of look to them and see their counsel and think about it and just consider it in the same way that you would have a godly man in your church come up to you and, and explain the word. You, you give it weight because of the way you respect him and his character, and then you go home and think about it for yourself with the word being the ultimate, for sure. I agree. All right, so let's move on to the next. So, again, we're going forward then with the understanding that this is, <clears throat> at least in this area, that these are men who are claiming the fact that Christ has bought them, but we'll see later that he, that he has not, that they are not truly saved, not truly redeemed, I should say. All right, so let's go back here again. Number three, we're on. Um... So when it says here, um, bringing swift destruction on themselves, denying the sovereign order bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. And it says here, as a metaphor for judgment um, or destruction, the word does not literally mean annihilate or cease to exist, but with salvation as its opposite, denotes the eternal loss of fellowship with God. Denotes the eternal loss of fellowship with God. So again, this is directly talking about their spiritual state their ultimate destination. Let's look at John 12. This is Jesus talking about not only the fact that he's going to die, but this, again, the, kind of the, the way you must follow him. Let's start, in this, let's start in verse 23 here. I'll start in verse 23. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And this is that idea, his life will lose it. The same idea. Christ pointing towards ultimate eternal life versus losing that and separation from God as a result of their choices. Now let's take a look at Romans as well as the other example. The more spiritual nature, I think, of the destruction God's talking about. We'll actually come back to this again. This, this is going to go towards later when we talk about wisdom and discernment in these issues and how you treat Christian brothers who you disagree with. But let's look at it again from this idea of spiritually what it's talking about. Can someone read for us verse 15? Longer walking in love by what you eat. Right. So here he's not talking about killing the one who Christ died for. He's talking about the kind of spiritual havoc that you can wreak in their lives by bringing something that offends them and then turn them off and um, discourage them or turn them off from Christianity in general and ruin their faith. <clears throat> and again, I'm not saying that this person here is going to hell, but this is just again talking about the spiritual nature, spiritual nature of the destruction that we're talking about here. The next we have. Does someone have something to add? Okay, again. Next characteristic of false teachers, the popularity of these false teachers is great. The popularity of these false teachers is great. And we'll look at what Jesus said about these, but Jesus warned that many more people will follow the easier way, the easier path, easier road. So he's talking about both, this is looking at why, why their popularity is so great. In Matthew chapter 7, let's take a look at that, Jesus' teaching. Let's 
discussion of the narrow and wide gate. Can someone read that for us, 13 to 14, when you get there? I think this goes to what Dave was saying a minute ago, just about the nature of, of teaching from the Word of God, and that sometimes, um, quite freely, it's not going to be pleasant, and it's going to be difficult. The one when Christ is talking about picking up your cross, and um, as Pastor Mike has been going through with Saul and the leadership, what it requires to be a leader in your family and at work, over your family members, siblings, the idea of the, the difficult road that we're called to as we follow Christ. And a lot, of, a lot of people don't want to hear that. Think about the instant you go home and turn on, sadly no football games right now, but you turn on the football game and you watch any of the commercials and you see the sitcoms or if they come on now, and the idea of what they're put forth is acceptable for manhood or what or what's funny. It's just, it's just, uh, yeah, this is, I saw it last night too, just, oh, it's repulsive. Just the idea of what they're putting forward as, as acceptable, and this is what you can be okay with. And if you're not as bad as these people on the screen, well, then feel okay about yourself. It's quite, quite a different image. Um, let's look at Matthew 24 as well. Mick, you want to read for us? Are you there? Yeah. 11. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And um, take heed, no one deceive, or many will come in my name. will hear of war and rumors of me that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is nation will rise up against nation, and earthlings of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be all nations for my will be offended one another, and will be false prophets will rise up and deceive you. All right, so we can see this is kind of the why, right? <clears throat> this goes to the opposite side of the spectrum. This is what they're being called to. This is what Jesus is warning them is coming. This is not a rosy scenario that he's painting for them about what they're going to be expected and called to do. So then it becomes a little more understandable about why the wide road people then begin to turn to false teachers who are not going to be asked them for the same level of commitment, for the same level of sacrifice that Christ does. Second, it says, Many will only give superficial allegiance to Christ. Many will only give superficial allegiance to Christ. And let's go to First John. We'll stay in First John then and see our examples of that. He is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only. But I, this we know. Whoever says I know him, but does not. But whoever keeps his word, in him, by this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk the same way. Right? And we see both here, right? The guy who says, I know him, but doesn't do what he commands. He claims, I know Jesus, I'm a believer in Jesus, I'm a Christian, but doesn't do what God asks of him to do. And the opposite of what we're actually called to. And let's just turn a couple chapters over to 5. Can someone read that 1 through 5 for us? Very good. So hopefully all this helps illuminate why these false teachers' teachings become uh, so popular. Because the path we're called to walk is difficult. And um, we wouldn't be exhorted to, to obey and, and, and reminded again and again that, that that's, that's an absolute necessity if it wouldn't be our tendency to turn from that. Um, 
So are we wrapping up at 10.30, Dave? Is that right? Oh, we're done. Okay. <laughs> how do we handle that? Well, is that something you just keep going next week, or is that kind of awkward to break something up in half like that? Should we just go through what... Geez, I'm all about breaking up. Okay, so let's continue next week then? Okay. That's fine, yeah. Great. Okay. <laughs> I think especially since we haven't got to the application of modern day yet and all that. Okay. Sure. Okay. You want to close us in prayer, Dave, then? Yeah, we love you so much, and um, we love your word. We just thank you for uh, very, very important message. Heard and discussions heard. Best at times we follow these uh, important uh, work in this uh, dark world to uh, pull away counter. Thank you for uh, the word that continues to serve. Um, and pray that uh, you in us to give word. For the time that we share. Thank you for our time of fellowship in your word. Amen.